you're tuned in with In the Blind Combat Waterfowl, the podcast. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. Welcome back. In the Blind Combat Waterfowl, the podcast, episode five. I've got my co-host with me, Andrew Beck. I apologize. Dylan West is out doing cop things tonight. He's not going to be able to be with us, but we do have a special guest uh, who I alluded to last week. His name is Nick Hofford, the Wizard of Washington. What is up, bro? What's up, fellas? The Wizard Welcome of to the Washington, show, brother. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, you know I coined I coined the Wizard of Washington a little bit. You know, I I kind of we kind of come up with a, an episode name. Sometimes it's cool, sometimes it's not. Uh, this time it happens to be pretty cool, I think. And uh, yeah, man. So uh, so Nick, tell us a little bit about about who you are, what you do for a living. Um, you know, All right. experience with combat waterfowl and yeah. Well, uh, first off, I'll say that there's probably a handful of a lot better hunters in Washington than me that are going to hear that nickname and want to dispute that. But <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I, I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up waterfowl hunting in northern Minnesota, about 70 miles from Canada, 40 miles from North Dakota, way up in the corner. Uh, ended up going to school in Aberdeen, South Dakota, so which was awesome, man, like right smack dab in the middle of like mallard heaven and i thought i was never going to get better hunting than that and i ended up taking an internship out here i'm in tri-cities so southeast washington and uh i'm the assistant manager habitat manager for a duck hunting club out here so i've been doing habitat work for waterfowl for five years now um it's a 2,000 acre ranch um we basically do everything from corn to moist soil to uh dry land barley a uh, little bit of everything so i guess waterfowl kind of has been my whole life for six years now six total years legit man and and just so you guys all know out there when he says he, he does that full-time like that's what he does 12 months a year not just uh during during season yeah that's that's correct yeah so during season i'm making sure that there's no beavers plugging up plugging up water and flooding stuff that's not supposed to be flooded. And then the off season is geared for I'm, I'm doing nothing besides building habitat for ducks for duck season. Our goal is to get as many ducks here as possible and hold as many ducks as long as we can. So we can shoot as many ducks as possible. You guide, you guide too. Don't you, don't you guide some of the clients of the duck club? Uh, no, not here. It's a different, it's a different total separate, separate business than, uh, what I do here. Uh, my okay. first two years here, I was just an intern. So I had the winters off. I actually had duck season off. And so I guided and out of our 105 or 107 day season, whatever it is in 2018, 2019 season, I hunted 96 days of the 105 or 107 day season. And I was home for Christmas for seven of those days. So that was definitely a year that uh yeah i i definitely aged about seven seven to ten years through that one season <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude a lot of monster a lot of beer and a lot of little debbie cakes oh not not as much beer that makes the makes the morning stuff but yeah little debbies and monster was the was the go-to <laughs> for sure <laughs> that's pretty strong 96 days out of 105 holy shit yeah there's only there was like 10 or 11 days that i didn't hunt and i was at home for seven of those and there was only like four days that I had off, I think, other than that. So um, aside from all that, man, like you're uh, you're pretty well connected in, in the waterfowl space. Um, 
through a, a couple, you know, I'm, I know you're working with, with Corey um, mm-hmm. at DRC and, and, you know, you've, you're, you've kind of, you've made a pretty good name for yourself in, in that community as well. And um, you, you're just a, you're a wealth of experience, um, you know, in, in the waterfowl world. And, and we're super excited to have you on man and, and pick your brain a little bit um, especially given, you know, where you, you grew up in Minnesota, went to South Dakota, now you're in Washington. Um, you know, when you, st- when did you start, like how old were you when you actually started, picked up a gun and went waterfowl hunting for the first time? I pulled the trigger. I shot my first duck when I was six years old with a 410 pump. Who took uh, you? My dad and my grandpa. So I was, I was with my dad and my grandpa on, uh, I always called him uncle Timmy. It was one, Tim was one of my dad's best friends growing up. And so it was just, you know, as a kid, it was uncle Timmy, you know, yeah. and he had a little pond behind his house and my dad and my grandpa, we built a blind out there that summer and took me out and we ended up shooting a limited ducks. And I was, I was six years old. The first time I pulled the trigger on a duck. And so I'm going on this season will be my 21st season. I just turned 27 this year. So it'll be season 21. That's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. Been, I, I didn't shoot my first duck till I was 16. Um, so that's that's legit, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was uh that was pretty pretty fortunate to grow up where I did, especially with the with you know, you mentioned Corey. Corey being around and getting to know Corey definitely my dad and my grandpa and my uncle got me into it, but he kind of he was kind of the driving factor of where i was like you know what i want to do i want to do what i want my life to revolve around waterfowl and he's talking about Corey loafler he's the owner of uh of drc calls Uh, for those of you listening who might not know who he's talking about Corey is um is an incredible caller as is nick um nick is a is a really good really good goose and duck caller and uh I, i recall a conversation you and i had about um you pretty much sitting in his shop and him, <laughs> him giving you some direction. What was, what was that experience like, you know, um, when you were taking, taking that direction and going down the competition route, you know, what, what kind of, what would you um, say? I guess, I guess one way to put it would be tim- like timid, even though I knew him very well, he, I was always timid to blow a goose call around him because, you know, I, and he, he's, he's the kind of guy that would hear it and help you out, give you pointers, you know, tell you you're doing this wrong. You should be doing this. But to me, it was always, I wanted to be, I wanted to be like, sound like him so bad. And I knew that I was light years from it. And that if I blew a goose call in front of him, he was going to be like, get the hell out of my shop. Don't come back. <laughs> you, know, I mean, like, you know, I'm like six, a sixth, seventh grade, you know, I'm, I'm what, 12, 13 years old. And I'm like picking up his goose call and he'd step outside to let the dogs out. And I'd be like, cluck, 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 cluck. like just trying to be quiet where he can't hear me. And he'd come back in and yeah, it was, that was fun, man. That was, that was a really fun time being around him and polishing calls or, you know, pressing t-shirts, doing whatever I was, I was doing there and getting to travel to shows with him and see him call on stage and uh, you know, other guys call on stage. That was, that was a pretty cool, pretty cool time of life too. That's legit, man. Yeah, man. So the, the fact that like, I mean, it, it's awesome that like, I mean, basically you've been able to be in every facet of the industry, you know, at this point, you know what I mean? What do you consider your favorite other than habitat management? 
Oh, uh, man, for sure. My favorite is guiding and I haven't been able to do as much these last couple of years. Like I, I truly believe I need to get back into it, man. Cause I, I believe I was put here to be a hunting guide. Um, I love people. I love talking to people. Like my two favorite things in the world are, are goose hunting. I would put goose hunting above duck hunting. I would take shooting four big Canada geese and my boot bag laying in a layout blind versus shooting seven greenheads here in Washington out of a blind every day out of the week. Um, I, I my two favorite things are goose hunting and talking to people. And so you combine the two and that's guiding. And um, that, that hands down is, is one of my favorite. You never know who you're going to be in a blind with, you know, you, you get to see their names the day before you might, it's the party so-and-so party of six and you show up and people start telling their story and you have some sort of connection with them that it's just, there's a lot of small world type stuff that happens. Um, and just seeing the faces of clients that they don't get to go pull the trigger or they don't get to see that, that group of, you know, 15 geese even coming in that's right there doing it right. They don't, they don't do that. They're, they're past shooting at 45 yards. You know, they don't get to experience what I experience every day. And so that's, it's, I really enjoy getting to share that with other people. Yeah. I think I would think that that would be probably top shelf moments for you too. And um, one thing I guess that, that you mentioned is, you know, your love for goose hunting Um, in from your experience, you know, what is it about, what is it about goose hunting that drives you to, love it as much as you do like how do you place that over duck hunting for yourself like what's your justification and i always enjoy hearing people's answers to this is you know because I'm, I'm right there with you i would personally rather hunt canada geese in a dry field more than i would nearly anything now any i'll put ducks in a dry field over anything you know too but if i have a choice between ducks and geese for me myself i i also find goose hunting to be more enjoyable yeah, I would say uh, my justification is where I grew up, we had like a week of duck season and it was like it was 70 degrees every day. And then it was like all of a sudden hell froze over. Everything's frozen. There's no ducks. All the ducks are in Mississippi. Um, it, it was like a week window and then it was just cold as hell. Couldn't shoot any ducks and the geese would stick around. So we hunted geese most of the time. And we had a, like three weeks of early season. So I kind of grew up goose hunting more than duck hunting. Um, and then on top of that, I think it's more fun to call it geese. I feel like geese respond better to a call uh, where there's ducks that I can look at. You know, you can be calling it a duck and you can look at that duck and you can be like, yeah, no matter what I do, that thing is not going to turn around. That is that that thing is going not here. It's not coming here. But a goose uh, this is me also being dumb, but I can look at any goose and be like, there's a chance Like you know, they're saying that you're saying there's a chance that I could get that thing to come in here. And, you know, it's fun, just especially when I'm by myself, I'll just sit there and rip on a call and see what happens. Most of the time you can look at a bird and be like, yeah, that thing isn't there's no way that thing's coming in. It's got its mind made up. But every now and then, you know, like one out of a thousand times that bird will flip around for whatever reason and just drop in from the heavens. And that's. I, th that's my justification is that you, they respond better to a call. Um, I feel like I can read geese better than ducks. I feel like ducks are just anyone can kill a, kill a duck with a, you know, a spinner or a mojo or in a, in a cheap call, but not everyone can throw themselves in a goose field and, and shoot a limited geese. I'd agree with that. I think that geese also offer, offer a more personal experience. 
if if you understand what I'm saying. From yeah, club, yeah, from yeah, you almost get to interact longer, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You you hear them from afar. Um, you can pattern them. In my opinion, you could pattern a goose a hell of a lot more than you could pattern a duck. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, there's something about laying down in a layout blind or sitting in an A-frame and hearing that thud when that bird hits the ground. <laughs> like I, I love, I love having to go pick up decoys. They got smashed or knocked over or whatever. Um, and it's just, I don't know, man. Um, there's something about, there's something about a goose field that just drives me nuts. And, uh, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I definitely enjoy goose hunting. Um, but yeah, I've hunted fields before that, you know, it's been cut corn and it'll be frozen. The corn stalks will be frozen and you'll shoot some honkers, like some 12, 13 pound, like big Minnesota honkers that come out of the sky and just speared by the corn. I mean, you'll be pulling them like someone's just holding a sword and you'll be pulling them off the corn. Oh, <laughs> um, all right. So I want to, I want to dive a little bit more into that. You know, we're coming here. We are in, in August now. People are going to be getting ready for, um for goose season and so i I would love to to kind of talk a little bit about um early season tactics and and things to things to look for as far as you know your spreads uh as far as you know what sort of calling you you should do in in certain situations and, and hopefully give a hunter a different way of looking at things and and i think this podcast is a really good job of of talking about a different perspective. And so I'd love to hear about your perspective on when you're setting up an early goose spread for September, how, how do you go about it? You know, from, and we're talking general stuff here, you know, um, not a specific thing. Um, you know, most of the time in September, you're going to be hunting cut wheat or, you know, uh, something like that. A lot of corn isn't cut in September, unless you're way up North. Right. Uh, but you know, what, you know, what, how do you look at your spread and, and maybe some, some pointers, silos versus full bodies. You can talk about that a little bit. Um, but I, I want you to kind of have a floor on it. I would say, um, early season, particularly, I don't know. I was at game fair when I was young. I, I can't remember how I was probably 13, 14 years old. And I went to game fair in Anoka around, you know, twin cities, Minnesota, Minneapolis area. And somebody was given a seminar and they they kind of explained it as the hunting season is like you're playing playing a hand like you're playing cards through a whole hunting season and you don't want to throw out the ace of spades on the first day you know so that so he was kind of talking you know if you're hunting local birds a lot you don't want to come out and throw that big a-frame in the middle of the field with a bunch of brush with your brand new full bodies and show the birds that you're going to be hunting for the next two months every single trick that you got right away the first day. Um, and to be honest, I never did that. I always do the ace of spades right away, but someone <laughs> else might take that advice and use it a little bit better. But um, for the most part, I like scouting is a big thing. Uh, you know, obviously you got to find a field with birds in it. And when you find them, just look at the birds and try to try to depict that. Most of the time, early season, they're still going to be in their family groups. So you'll have, you know, you'll see like, seven or eight birds over here and then 15 yards away there'd be like another little pot of birds might be just a couple mixed in so i've always ran very very loose spreads during early season and more in family groups 
Um, and then having two to three guys with a flag in early season has also, I, I would have, you know, I'd rather have more flagging and less calling early season than more calling and less flagging. Um, especially if you're where the birds want to be, the only thing you could do at that point is screw it up. Right. So yeah. for those of you that, that we're talking here, we're talking, when he says loose spread, what he means is, is, is setting your decoys more spacing uh, between each bird and, and in groups of five to six decoys here and, and five to six decoys there, as opposed to wadding them up at, at your kill hole or whatever. Um, and when you, when you say flagging, so for you, when you, when you flag at birds, as soon as you see geese, you get on the flags. Yeah. Uh, yeah, typically I've, I was always taught to kind of flag at their wingtips, like kind of like duck calling, you call at their wingtips. If a bird's coming at you, you're not calling. Like if that bird's cupped up and it's 40 yards out, you're not going to call You can, the only thing you're going to do is screw it up. Same thing with flagging. You know, if that bird's on the deck coming in, you're not going to stand up and hit the flag. But if they're kind of crossing you or they're a ways out, yeah, you know, I I hit hit the flag. That's typically once you got their attention, it's, you know, kind of let your location and the decoys do the work. And another thing you said with five to six decoys, I'd be careful about putting a number to your decoy, like your little family groups, because you don't want it to look like a human being set it out. Right. You know, you. You don't want to you don't want to put a decoy here, walk three steps, put another decoy, walk another three steps. So every decoy, you don't want them all to be evenly spaced and you don't want each little group to have five or six. You know, some might have three, some might have 15. You might have you might have 20 of them up by the blinds where you want the kill hole. But then 100 yards away, you might have five decoys that are just out there willy nilly, you know. Yeah, I I say those questions. I say those things to encourage you to to elaborate a little bit more because um, while there are people that are as experienced as you are that listen to this podcast, there are a lot of people that aren't. And you know, we're hoping that you know somebody who hears this will be able to to try something new that they hear today and and be able to go out there and, and find a little success. So um, yeah, absolutely. And when you when you pick up a call during early season, what are you, what are you what are you looking for? Uh, you already said, you know, kind of calling on the wingtips. You got birds coming. You shut up. Um, but what else are you doing? Are you, are you doing mainly, you know, mainly moans, mainly honks, maybe clucks? You know, are you stringing a sequence together? You know, what what could somebody go listen to or, you know, direct somebody to something that would help them um, with their early season calling and things to look for? Um... I would say for early season, just, you know, thinking back, thinking about it. If you go to like a pond or a public park or something like that, if you sit there for an amount of time, you're going to hear two geese get into it. They're going to be double clucking. It's going to be cluck, 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 cluck. And, you know, and it'll kind of crescendo and then, you know, kind of fade away. And I guess that would be something that would be natural during early season would be two family groups feeding in too close to each other. And a couple of those geese kind of, you know, getting into it, getting into a little quarrel. Um, I would say that would be natural. And then just feeding murmurs. Like when geese are on the ground, if you've ever been in a pit um, and you let geese land on top of you, basically, where they're like just a couple of feet away, those birds are making the weirdest noises that you can't hear any other time until you're right underneath them. When those birds are like right here sitting on the ground eating food, they're just doing little murmurs and uh, weird little whistles and stuff out of their nose. So 
I mean, I don't know if you could go wrong just doing little quiet murmurs here and there when, you know, birds are working you, but I would say for the most part, just trying to sound like real geese. And um, I think a lot of people go wrong with it too, thinking that I got this call in my hand, I'm calling to the birds that are flying around, which the birds that are on the ground already, if they were live birds and not decoys, they're not calling at the birds in the air. They're making noise with the birds on the ground. They don't give a crap about the birds in the air. And so right. I think people, people kind of get that, you know, they kind of get that side of that wrong a lot. And then another thing is they tend to point their call directly at the bird, which makes it 15 times louder than an actual goose is going to sound. It'd be like you walking into uh, you know, a subway and that lady standing behind her dude standing behind there ready to make your sandwich just screams at you. He's like, what are you having? You know, you're probably going to be like, uh, hold on, man. Like, I'm not that hungry. You know, that, that would scare the hell out of you. And you'd probably kind of be like a little timid to go in there and get a sub. So you got to think about that. Too. You don't want to scream at them as soon as they come in the door. That is, that's, I've never heard it put that way. But yeah. Uh, it's a good way to put I've it. I've never even thought about it like that. Like, <laughs> So or like you're sitting at a restaurant and the and the server comes up to you and is like, all right, guys, what can you get to drink? You know, you dude, you I just, just I just envision myself pulling in a drive-thru <laughs> at McDonald's and rolling down my window. And somebody just like a little hand comes out of the box and just smacks the shit out of my face. It's like, what do you want today? Yep. Dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's what it'd be like. God almighty. All right. So <laughs> Um, you talked a little bit about, about calls, you know, like, you know, and I know you represent, um, DRC, you know, a lot of people don't know what to get, you know, like what's, what are some, some good entry level products, um, that, that somebody could go pick up and, and really, um, begin on, you know, cause obviously there's a, there's a, calls are like, are like vehicles, right? Like right. there's there's entry level cars that are going to get you there and get you safe. And then, you know, there's some Ferraris out there that, that might, might be a little too fast for, uh, for somebody who's just getting into it to really, to know how to drive. Right. So right. where, where would you say that for that folks should start looking um, and, and don't be afraid to name drop anybody. We're not, we're not in any way, shape or form. We are not uh, down talking anyone else's business or, or anything like that. We're just trying to provide, various different options from various different brands for, for somebody who's trying to get into this to go pick up and, and learn on. Right. Um, the biggest thing that I would say um, is pretty much everybody, everyone that's going to listen to this is going to be within, you know, within the next year, they're going to be able to go to a sporting goods store. They're going to be in a sporting goods store, like a Bass Pro or a Cabela's or, you know, the people in the Midwest are going to have shields, something like that, that sells a bunch of calls, right? Where you walk in, you go back to the waterfowl section and there's that big glass display case full of calls, or you're going to go to a game show where there's going to be 15 different call vendors there. What I would say is go, if you're trying to get into it, you're trying to find what you want. Maybe you just started calling and you got the cluck honk and moan down and you want something a little better, or maybe you're trying to get into it. You have no idea what you're doing. Go to a sporting goods store or go to a show with all the vendors and try every single call you can put your hands on. And at the end of the day, walk away with the one that fits you best. Cause you're going to have that, you know, you're going to get that like light bulb in your head where you're going to pick up a call and it's going to sound like uh Papa Smurf blowing a kazoo. 
And then you're going to pick up another call and it's going to, you know, you might be able to make kind of a goose noise. You might sound like a siren or an ambulance or something. And you might pick up the next call and you might be able to make a honk. And uh, it's just going to be the air pressure for you. You like the sound, you know, I, the best advice I would give someone like that is try as many possible calls as you can try your buddy's calls, try this friend's calls, this friend's call. And, you know, don't just go off of the, the cool thing that's online. Everyone's buying this call. Don't go buy that. Cause it might not, it might be great for you. It might not be, you know, yeah. I would, I would try to put your lips on as many calls as you can. Uh, and you might end up with COVID now. I don't know, but that, that would be my advice. <laughs> try try out as many as you can before you just go pull the trigger on something. Cause you know, so-and-so posted on Instagram that this is, this is the best call and this is what you need to buy. I would, I would try them out for yourself. Right. I mean, I, I would say like, even like myself, like I, I'm still searching <clears throat> for a better goose call. And I, I mean, I'm afraid of minute. I'm still banging an old flex down only because it's, it's what I sound comfortable with. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, for, for me, it works, but it's not for That's everybody. the thing. I mean, if you, if you can kill geese with it, there's no point in, you know, why go why go spend 200 bucks or 150 bucks on a really fancy call if you got that flex tone that you've had for six years and you can stack geese with it. There's no point. Yeah. It, well, I mean, I will say, like, I, I, I can't find some advanced notes in it just because I, I don't I, I don't know if that doesn't have the range or it's just not fitting me once I go to that, you know, that that range or whatever but right works for right now and it, so. it could be either or and to be honest with you a lot of those notes the like really fancy notes are notes that geese don't really ever make yeah. it just sounds cool to your hunting buddies like if you're hunting with someone and they're clucking it's mostly a variation of a cluck honk and a moan and you hear that and then all of a sudden someone's dropping like a spit note or a quick spit it's going to be your hunting buddies that are like oh <laughs> yeah like, yeah that, damn, man, sound good it. down there <laughs> So yeah, you're not geese. you're saying that there are no geese that are up there like that dude's spitting that love note. Let me let me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they're calling on them. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of times that I think that helps because there's a lot of you know especially if you're in a high hunting pressure area where everyone can cluck honk and moan. Is you'd set yourself apart by being able to do some of the other weird notes that that guys typically can't. That birds when they're circling a real flock of birds, they might hear this and that. But when they're fall, circling hunters, they just hear, you know, the the clucks and the honks and, you know, not the greatest tone. And so I think I think some in some scenarios, it'll help you out. But for the most part, it's it's all just it's just fancy for your hunting buddies and to make you feel good about yourself. We've so, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Andy. So, uh, just while we're on this like note, like I always think about it. Do you think less is more sometimes or? as far as like the number of people actually calling? Um, I would say quality over quantity and less you are running traffic. Like if, yeah. if you're in Minnesota and you're hunting molt migrators, if you got a dude that all he can do is go like two, 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 and do a call, but you got three guys that can actually call, you can cover his noise up and he'll just kind of sound like the top end of a clock or something like that. But if, if, you know, you're, you're on the X and birds are working. I would say if you got, if you got one guy that all he can do is honk that if he honks once every 10 seconds and you got another guy that all he can do is just cluck, he's just going, cluck, 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 cluck. you know, you got to kind of play in to where you're, you're not trying to call over the top of each other, but as a whole, when you're calling, you sound good. If that makes any sense at all. No, it makes perfect sense. 
just want to build an orchestra. It's okay. Exactly. Yeah, that's what you're trying to do. That's what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is a this is a a thorn in our side, Nick. We've uh, down this road a little bit. I know what bit. you're gonna say. I know what you're I gonna say. I already know that. I already you already know <laughs> what I'm gonna say. Like this is it's happening. All right. So two minute tune up. All right. This is something that we've been trying to string together for a year or more. Um, that's right, and, a year. Yeah. And I really, I really want us to get this out, man. Um, there are so many people like you would be, you, you have no idea. And I'm, I'm not a subject matter expert. I mean, I can call a little bit, you know, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm far removed from uh, what I would consider a professional caller. Um, there are a lot of people that, that send in videos all the time. Like, Hey man, how's the sound, you know, or, or, you know, what do you think about this or, or whatever? And, and, you know, obviously that's our, that's our bread and butter. You know, like we're hunters first, we're, we're hunters, we're sportsmen first, we're a clothing brand second. And, you know, I, I relish the fact that we have people that come to us wanting help or wanting to talk about hunting because that's, that's what we love, you know, and that's what makes us who we are. Right. So I, I really want us to, to go into and and more YouTube approach to that and, and really get that out to some, to to some people. So uh, this is the official call out. Yeah. Now you're publicly putting me on the spot. (laughs) I want to have to put you on the spot that Nick is going to be putting together the two minute tune up. Um, And so I look forward to that that coming here soon, hopefully before season gets too deep and, um, and given, given me, you know, something to look forward to as well as, you know, those of us out there that, uh, that could use some help or a different way of looking at things. Right. Yeah. Now that it's public, I mean, vegan, I'll make it work. It's not, I've been, I've been kind of selfish a little bit because I've been taking my sleep over everything else. Cause like, like this morning I was up at, up at five and worked 12 hours and then hopped on here. So, but you know what, it's, it's worth it. You know, it's a, uh, I can do it. If you're going to be up till 2 a.m., I can I can definitely spare 15 minutes to put together a, a video that you can edit at 2 a.m. Yeah, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be by the time this airs, it will have already happened. But I'm in the middle of preparing for uh, World Air Expo in, in Alabama. So I've got right. a slew of things to string together for uh, making sure the show jumps off. And, you know, I, I find myself editing video in all hours of the night anyway. So I uh, would love to edit the two minute tune up at 2 a.m. Um, but you know, I, 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 I won't, we're not going to dig on that anymore. I'm not going to, not going to berate you about the two minutes. <laughs> well, we're moving past that now. Uh, I got another, I want to put you on the spot a little bit more. What is something that a more experienced hunter could listen to you? Maybe a, a way that you do something. What is a, what is one of your tips or one of your tricks that you have found as uh, as maybe a, a trade secret to your early season spread that that might help a more experienced hunter. Oh, that's a good question. So I don't know necessarily how to answer that for someone as you classified as a more experienced hunter, but I will say that not just a fourth early or fifth year hunter, somebody who's who's killed some geese, who's found some early season success, but you know maybe you know they're they're not somebody who's got thirty years of experience, and they're not somebody who's gonna who's got the numbers and the reputation to go set up a guide service. Like they're trying, they're they're in they're in their stride in their career as a waterfowl hunter, 
but you know, there's always something that I learn something every time I hunt regardless. Um, right. so what is something that you might be able to share with somebody who's, who's been around a little bit? I would say, um, so put a scenario out there, you find this, you, you go scout and you find this, find this field. Let's say there's 400 geese in there, 400 big honkers cut wheat field. You go, you set up, it's a good setup. Uh, you think your hide's good and birds aren't a lot of times during early season, your birds are going to skirt the edge of the flock, right? They're going to, they, they want to be in their own little family group. You're going to get groups of, you know, five to 15 birds coming in. You're not going to get that massive wad of 400 coming in all at once. They're not going to leave the roost at once. Um, one trick that we've used it. It's, it's kind of like uh anchorman where it, it like it works 60% of the time, all the time. But like when those birds are kind of, you know, skirting that edge of the flock, one thing that we've done before is you just get, you know, like they've already told you like, Hey, I'm not coming into that kill hole. I am set up. I'm 10 yards off the ground over here, 80 yards away. You're not going to be able to touch me. And I'm landing over here by myself. Uh, we'll just go bananas on the call. Like just, just as fast as you can blow a goose call, waving your flag, just creating as much noise as possible. And 60% of the time, all the time it'll work and those birds will be like weirded out like you almost flare them from where they're gonna want to land over there away from the spread but it doesn't freak them out enough to like leave completely kind of where they're just like what in the hell just happened like i don't know man like that was kind of weird let's maybe go a little bit closer to these guys over here because i'm not sure what the hell just happened but i think the devil just spoke to me you know like <laughs> and that i mean that that's a tough question to answer, but I would say try it because the worst thing that's going to happen is those birds are either going to leave or they're going to land 80 yards away and you're not going to get to shoot them anyways. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, so this one time in Arkansas, we had bubbles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bubbles was goose hunting and, uh, you know, nothing was working. They weren't killing anything. And he hopped out of uh, he hopped out of the blind. And he's standing up there on the dike. And, you know, there's some geese flying up high and he was just like, free goose pussy. <laughs> and, you know, basically just like saying, hey, there's some female geese down here that kind of want to hang out with y'all. And unfortunately, it didn't work, you know, uh, and I don't really know if any scenario where it would work. He didn't but, have Black Panther on. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> he didn't have something on. Um, but no, man, it. Little things like that, I think, are helpful because it's something that maybe they wouldn't have thought of. And that's yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, and, and another thing, too, is don't – so what'll set, what sets, like, the weekend warrior guys apart from other – but don't get me wrong. I've been a weekend warrior. I was a weekend warrior most of my life, but now I actually get to hunt all the time. But there's too many people that just hunt when the hunting is good. And you don't learn anything at all. If you go out hunting, if you get a phone call and your buddy's like, dude, I got a field. There's a thousand birds in there. They've been showing up at 730 for the last week. We're going to murder them. Yeah, no shit. Like the only thing you're going to do is screw it up. Like unless you go lay out there in a pink sweatshirt, you might still kill. You'll probably still kill a goose in a pink sweatshirt. But people need to keep hunting when, you know, you got you to put on the miles to scout and the birds are educated. You haven't gotten a new push in a while. You know, you got to. You can't just use the same two dozen decoys and the jerk string that you've been using for a month. You got to try something new, you know, try, try less decoys, try more decoys, put, 
just use your jerk string, you know, try, that's when you become a better hunter. When the hunting is bad and the hunting's tough, you become a better hunter. That's when you learn all your lessons. That's when you find out stuff that works and doesn't work. Um, you know, that's kind of when you're outside your comfort zone, I guess, where you know that you're not, yeah, there's a chance you could go smack them in the face, but more than likely you're just going to get, you're going to get an egg or, you know, you're going to take your lumps and you're going to learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, so, if you have a question, because if you don't, I've got another one. <laughs> uh, so I do. I, are you, do you want to stay on goose? Do you want to? No, go ahead. Add anything you want, so, bro. Dude, I, he I, like, I'm just, use and abuse. <laughs> so I'm just curious, man. And I, I think that, that like we do have some some young, young listeners that I know that are out there that are, a lot of them, I think, want to take, you know, an advantage or uh, take an outlet into the, the waterfowl industry. Can you explain what a day is like? in your, you know, in your world, um, and kind of, I'm sure it changes daily, but like a, a standard day is like, as far as like what you're managing and why you're managing it type thing. And, and very briefly, we don't have to go super in depth, but I would say, I would say the day is kind of based here specifically is kind of based on, uh, like the time of year, you know, like there's a the time of year that we're putting in, we're doing our corn. And like, I am focused on corn. I get, I wake up, I get in a tractor and then I get out of the tractor and I go to bed and I'm planting corn all day long. And, uh, then there's the next time of that is assessing our moist soil. You know, you're going to look and you're, you're looking at this pond and saying, this pond sucks. It's all cockleburs and, uh, you know, whatever else that we don't want. The ducks aren't going to eat it. There's no food value. It sucks. Let's spray it, rototill it and supplement it with something. And then the next part is you're actually doing that. You're, you're spraying, spraying weeds. Um, you're trying to get your smart weeds, water grasses, um, wild millets, you know, things like that growing your, your sedges, uh, just stuff that has, has duck food to it. And then here we're gearing the next would be brushing our duck blinds, going around, brushing all of our duck blinds, stuff like that. And, and all the while you're still having to flood you know, you're having to turn water on, flood pond, X, Y, Z, and then take the water off that pond so you can keep, you know, you can keep it a, a moist soil unit so it's not just dry all summer long. Um, and then as duck season gets closer, you're kind of putting final touches on on duck blinds. You're mowing road trails, mo paths, trimming trimming roads, trimming paths. Um, just kind of, you know, getting the finishing touches to make everything pretty, pretty for duck season i guess is what i would say would be be the average day and then duck season you're just you're basically just making sure everything's smooth everything's running smooth no one's getting stuck you know there's not any limbs that have fallen there's nothing that's crushed a blind anything like that how does somebody get into that industry how like if they if you had you know a young young fellow out there that was looking to get into waterfowl management or, or make waterfowl a career from that side of things how how would you encourage them to uh to go about doing that uh i would say first of all you know pretty much everywhere you're going to go in the country now that's worth a damn besides for like you know maybe joe blow that bought uh he's bought seven acres and there's a pond on it and he's going to give you a you know a pack of hubba bubba and a gumball to work on his pond if you want to work somewhere that's you know reputable they got a bunch of land and they know what the hell they're doing and they got birds. You're going to need to go to college. Um, 
I went, I got environmental science degree and a wildlife biology degree with an emphasis in waterfowl. Uh, you can get, you know, you can, you can basically go for wildlife biology anywhere in the country. Most colleges have something like that. Uh, I would suggest taking soils classes. You're going to want to take soils. You're going to want to take uh, wetland ecology. Um, you know, you're, you're going to want some background with that along. I mean, if you're going for waterfowl, you already know, like ornithology was the easiest class for me because it was like, hey, look, there's a picture of a northern shoveler and they like throw it up on the screen. And then for the test, you're like, all right, write down what kind of duck this is. And it's like, oh, shit. All right. Northern shoveler. Like, that was hard. <laughs> but, you know, so it's, it's it's taking the classes that you don't know about. And then, um, you know, there's things like the Texas A&M job board, uh, conservationjobs.com. There's different websites that have jobs like this all over the place where it'll be like a it'll be a refuge doing habitat management on a refuge or the private sector where I'm at um, looking for interns and things like that. So that's if, if there's someone listening that's that's younger, you can reach out to me and I can tell you what I just told you and what you just listened to or you can you know, take, take that route, I guess. Well, Andy always puts the Instagram handles and stuff in the show notes. So, um, if you are finding yourself having more questions, um, please feel free to, to blow Nick up. I'm sure he, uh, be happy to help you in any way. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, so is that like, I feel like that arena is kind of under served. Um, I like, I feel like it could be served more. More uh, jobs. But, You're saying there's, 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 you feel like there's more jobs than employees in that, in that niche. Yeah. But like the, the deterrent from it is probably 12 hour days and, you know, you are only really getting that's, to see. The- that's where you go. If, if you don't want the 12 hour days, that's where you go federal or state. Yeah. <laughs> and you got 40 hour week and it's, it's cake, but the private yeah. sector, which I think private's more rewarding and, and to answer what you just commented on being underserved, it's actually almost the opposite where there's, this is, this is a pretty small field. Like there is, there's really not a lot of jobs out there um, for this. Like for me to want to be a manager of something like this, like that could happen next year or it could be like eight years down the road, you know, like, because once that management position comes open, basically what I'm trying to do right now with myself is make myself as marketable as possible. That when that dream job comes about, like they get my resume and they're like, yep, bingo. This is what we want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say that, you know, the more stuff that as a young guy that you can get under your belt, the better off and the easier it's going to be for you to get where you want to go. And waterfowl, it seems like a big community but it's actually really really small and you're gonna run in you know like interns people that i've worked with in the past here they're now regional directors of ducks unlimited um you know know, they're they're all over the country and so you kind of build that network you you build a very small network but it's a small network in a small community and so it's kind of a it's not what you know it's a who you know kind of thing yeah, I could, I can absolutely see that too. I mean, this industry is, um, it is big and it is small in the same breath. Right. And, uh, you know, there's, I could, I could see that, you know. Um, well, I, I also see that, you know, you, you like, well, I mean, let's be honest, there's, there's a decent amount of people out there that are giving you a lot of money for enjoyment and they want to be able to enjoy it. You know what I mean? 
like yeah. that, that's a, a a big token as well especially in the you know in the private sector right um, not necessarily so much in the the federal arena because we're kind of all giving some type of money to it but the, the private arena I, I would definitely you know what i would want to see more bang for my buck if that makes sense yeah no 100 percent. yeah you're not going to want to pay <laughs> i mean any amount of money to come and show up and just have someone kick you out on a gravel road and be like all right you sit right here uh maybe at like eight o'clock a duck might fly over you yeah. if you can see them you better shoot at them because that's going to be the only one you see today i mean just look at the differences in public and private opportunities even here man i mean you you have somebody who's spending 12 months out of the year fully devoted and dedicated to propagating a, a, a worthy um piece of property whereas you know you go look at the public public land that we have and you know, there you go. I mean, you, public versus private is, is huge. And you're, you've wedged yourself into a, a place and into a community that is your passion. And that's something to be proud of, man. And you're living all of our dreams. <laughs> yeah, for, <laughs> you know, hey, we'll uh, be hiring next summer if you want to, if you want a job. Waterfowl is my life. Uh, it's just more on the apparel side at this point. Uh, you know, um, no, I just I, I really wanted to open that door and I, re I really wanted to facilitate that conversation just in case there's somebody out there that is looking to make this a more, you know, life life decision. And yeah. uh, I appreciate appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, one. Go ahead. OK. All right. I was going to just say I've seen a couple times on the on the page, the page, the Gunners page about guys asking question, questions about, you know, they they got this piece of property or something like that, and they're looking to plant something. Uh, quickly, the biggest thing that I could say is don't just put all your eggs in one basket with one food source because those ducks aren't going to, like, if you're in the north, they're not just going to want, you don't just want to plant corn and flood your corn because those ducks aren't going to want to just eat the corn. And they're going to go in there. You might have a week where there's 10,000 ducks in there, but then they're gone. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing that I've learned is you want your food on levels. So you want like, um, you know, some nut sedge or something like that. That's this tall that the ducks are going to eat first. And then you can flood that pond a little bit higher and they can hit uh, water grass. And then some species, number one of smart weed, number two of smart weed, then millet, and then maybe some corn, something like that. Where most of the time, what I see on the gunners page is guys going, should I plant millet in here? Like, yeah, millet's a great option. Uh, go for it. But, you know, at the same time, you want other foods. Like, think about it as if you had, if you were locked in, uh, you had to stay in one town for 65 days. And the only thing you could get to eat in that town was Pizza Hut, pepperoni pizza. That was it. You had to eat pepperoni pizza, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Or you could choose the town over where you could go to Subway, Pizza Hut, mcdonald's burger king taco bell you know you're gonna obviously choose the other town every it depends. Time. is that subway is that subway <laughs> person yelling at me what do i want I yeah as soon as you walk in they're screaming at you like <laughs> yeah smacked in the face that bell when you open the door and it usually just goes ding dong like telling someone's there it's just screaming at you right away it's like what do you want <laughs> so. but yeah right. i would say 
multiple food sources. Don't just, don't just get wrapped up into one food source. Do, do multiple food sources so you can feed that bird longer and give it more. It's going to be more nutrition value for that bird as well. That's uh that's definitely another positive point on, on an unrelated topic. I, I gotta, I gotta feed, I gotta feed my humor button a little bit. I need to, I need you to tell me what is the funny, funniest thing that has happened when you were guiding other clients oh man (laughs) funniest thing so i actually got i got two two things come to mind right away one of them is actually hilarious like really funny and the other one is like a it's funny but it's a small world type deal all right so i'm gonna tell the small world one first so i think it was the 2018-19 season i was here in washington and I had a group of goose hunters in the pit and we shot out at like 930, like we were done, limited out. And the manager was duck hunting just a half mile from me, three quarters of a mile on the pond. He's like, there's a lot of shooting. And I was like, yeah, we're done. And he goes, okay, the duck hunting sucks. Don't pick up. I'm going to take all the clients to lunch and I'm going to give you these duck hunters and they want to shoot geese this afternoon. And I was like, oh, shit. All right, whatever. I had been up since four. You know, I was tired and I just slept in the pit. He brought me lunch and I get to talking to these guys. And they're like, yeah, we flew out here from Minnesota. I was like, no shit. That's where I'm from. And they're like, oh, where are you from? I was like, oh, it's tiny town, northern Minnesota. You wouldn't know. And they were older gentlemen. And they're like, oh, really? He's like, try us. I was like, Deep River Falls, Minnesota. And the dude looks at me. He goes, yeah, I'm from I grew up in McIntosh. And McIntosh, is, there's like 100 people in that town. Like, I, I'm pretty sure they're all related. And I was like, <laughs> it was like, no shit. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, my family, like my dad's side of the family is from Macintosh. And he's like, what are their names? And I told him, I was like the Hoffords and the Broskis. And he starts naming members of my family. Then one, he's like, yeah, Lowell. I was like, yes, my grandma, grandpa. And he's like, and Janet. I was like, that's my grandma. And he goes, do you know Patty? And I was like, yeah, it's my great aunt. And he goes, I used to bang her in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it just, this dude, I'm in a pit in Washington state and this guy's from Minnesota and they lived in around like the twin cities area, but we just get to talking and that's what he dropped. I was expecting him to be like, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he just like, says Make me cookies. yeah. And he just drops it on me and I'm like, Oh, nice. Like real nice. Congrats, bud. <laughs> Yeah. And then, uh, so that was the small world one, probably the funniest, one of the funniest things that I've ever had happen was, uh, I can't remember if they were, I, I think they were from Romania or Ukraine, something like that. They were, they were foreign. There was some of them lived in Seattle, but there was one of them that did come from overseas to hunt. And there was four of them and they had really, really thick accents. They, they spoke great English and they were super cool guys. Funny as hell. And, uh, the one guy's like, man, I gotta, he's like, I, I kind of got to go to the bathroom and we're in a pit. And I'm like, all right, like, what do you got to do? And he's like, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, yeah, do you got to piss or do you got to take a shit? Like what's going on? And he's like, well, I don't, I don't know yet. And I'm like, so, so I was like, really, I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? And he's like, well, I don't know. He's like, I just, I just know I have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, well, yeah, but like, is it, is it, like, does your dick sting a little bit? Like you're holding MP or what's going on? And he just couldn't like answer it. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And he's like, where do I go? I was like, just go behind the pit. Like, just, you know, get out and go behind the pit. 
And he's like, okay, okay. And so he gets out and we're all just sitting in the pit, you know, talking with the lids are down and, and we're looking and I'm like, all right, I thought I heard a goose, you know? So I like pop my head up and this is like five, six minutes later, like after this guy walked out of the pit and the pivot base is 400 yards behind us, like in the dead center of the field. Yeah. So I picked this dude, if he had to shit, he was walking to the pivot base, you know, he's, he's been gone for six minutes, so he's not taking a piss. And so I pop my head up, I'm looking for geese and I turn around and this guy's full squat, like five feet behind the pit, just <laughs> bent over shit and staring at me, just eye contact. And I'm like, what in the hell? And he's like, I had to go bathroom. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> not there. Like why, why right there? It was <laughs> But yeah, we had to have a, I, I have no idea why the dude chose, he, I'm not shitting you, he walked, he got up out of the pit and walked about probably 10 steps, no exaggeration, and just decided <laughs> to take a shit right there, right behind the pit. <laughs> that was probably the, that was probably the funniest thing. And I don't know if it was funnier that he couldn't tell me if he had to take a piss or go number two. No, the eye, con- eye contact was definitely the best part of that story. Well, yeah, I like, I like, thought I heard a goose and I looked up, I'm looking around and I turn around and his face was just staring at me. And I'm like, everyone can see that face. Oh God. It was, yeah, he, he had no shame, no shame at all. And he just came back in the pit, like nothing happened. And like everyone else in there thought it was just normal. And I was like, did you bury it or anything? He's like, should I? And I like pop my head back out and look and there's like, on top of that, the dude took the toilet paper out of my blind bag. And I had, I usually carry around like, you know, a pretty decent sized roll for the clients. Yeah. And it was probably like two thirds of a roll. And he had used all of it. And the cardboard middle of it was like sitting on top. There's just this massive white spot <laughs> sitting five feet behind the pit. It looked like a snowman lost his head right behind the pit. I couldn't believe it, dude. Couldn't believe it. Dude, he put a candle in a cupcake with the. With the yeah, that's, exactly, that's exactly what he did, dude. And it was just normal to him. They were just like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's what it is. At least it's not like the Afghans, dude. They, uh, so they don't exactly have, uh, have sinks and stuff over there. And, uh, they use their hands. Like, I would have sent that motherfucker home if he would have used his hand. I would have been like, nope, you're not coming back in this pit. <laughs> like, no, nah, bro, you good. You go sit in that truck and make sure it's not my truck. Oh, man. All right, we're going to switch switch gears a little bit. Just pure curiosity. Uh, what's your coolest band that you've ever you've ever shot or seen shot? Uh, so my coolest band that I've ever shot or scene shot um i would probably say it was all right so this is kind of like this is a little bit longer it was the coolest week of my life and it wasn't last year it was the year before it was 2019 season 2019 2020 season all right so on so we have a two-day season closure which is a monday tuesday and so season was closed on a monday tuesday in october and on wednesday um i ended up doing my normal route for work seasons open back up and I'm driving down the one pavement and there's always these lessers that sit up in the city limit circles and all these lessers get up like two, 3000 of them get up and they start flying towards the ranch. Like something spooked them. 
And all of a sudden one just comes crashing out of the sky and lands on the ranch property. And I'm like, Oh shit, I'm going to go see if it's got a band, you know, like, a, and, um, as this bird's coming out of the sky, I'm thinking someone jumped them and poached them. Well, when this bird's 20 feet off the ground, a peregrine falcon opens up its wings and this bird just drills the ground. Uh, so a falcon actually took this, took this goose out of the sky. And I'm like, holy shit, that was really, really cool. I'm going to go see if it's got a band. Well, I jump our property, like jump our fence property, you know, to get onto our property. And uh, yeah. I see this white head. And I'm thinking it's a blue goose, which is pretty rare for eastern Washington. You know, most of our snow geese are white. We don't have a lot of blue face. And yeah. so I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm pumped. I'm like, no way. It's a blue goose in Washington. A hawk just killed this thing. I'm going to get it mounted. And I get a little bit closer to it. And it's it turns out it's an emperor goose. Oh, fuck. yeah i got i have an emperor goose mounted it's actually almost directly below me right now i'll post a picture on the gunner's page uh so you guys can see it but so i see this emperor goose come crashing on the sky it's the, it's one in a million right there's three thousand lessers for one in this flock and this hawk picks this emperor goose out and kills it like just about took its head off and i pick it up i don't even know if i'm supposed to have it i think it's illegal uh, we end up calling a game warden, letting him know about it, stuff like that. And I guess in the lower 48, there's no regulation. They just count as a dark goose because they're not supposed to be here. Oh, so like we could shoot four in Washington. They're supposed to not even be here. They're in the Aleutian islands and the North slope of Alaska. So I get this thing mounted. So that happened on Wednesday on Thursday, I went out duck hunting on the ranch here in one of our ponds. And I ended up shooting a 13 year old Drake Mallard band. Like is one of the oldest is the oldest band that I have is 13 year old Mallard band. Wow. And so I'm like, wow, I need to buy a lotto ticket. You know, I just found an emperor goose yesterday, shot a 13 year old band today. And then Friday morning I wake up to go to work and we had a storm the night before, like a little bit of a rain thunderstorm. Yeah. And I come out of my trailer, I walk down my steps and I have like a hundred, hundred feet to walk to the shop, something like that. And I take about seven steps off my, get off the bottom of my steps. And I take about seven paces or so. And like right there, there's a dead duck, a hen wood duck. And I'm like, what the hell? Pick up the wood duck. It's got a band on it. And so I asked, you know, my boss, I was like, did anyone shoot a hen wood duck yesterday? Thinking it maybe fell off a stringer or something like that. And yeah. he's like, nope, no one did. Well, it turns out in the storm, she fell, like flew into a tree branch or the side of a building or something like that and died. So in three days, I found an emperor goose, killed a 13-year-old mallard band, and found a dead wood duck right next to my trailer with a band on her. That is that was, that was probably the that, – that mallard band is probably the coolest band that I've ever been able to see shot, though. The oldest is it all band. weathered? No, it really wasn't, to be honest with you. That's crazy. I've seen, I've seen bands that have been like seven, eight years old that have been like rubbed off, and this one yeah. was – I could still read everything. Was it banded in the Pacific Flyway or did it jump? Yeah, most of our birds come from Saskatchewan. That's where he was from. Okay. He was from, uh, uh, I think that one was from like Slave Lake. Okay. Area, like way up northern Saskatchewan. Yeah. But yeah, most most of our birds here come from Saskatchewan, British Columbia, and then a few like pintail. We get some pintail bands out of Alaska. Yeah, that's legit, man. That's cool. <clears throat> yeah, I, I know we're coming up on an hour uh, here pretty quick, and uh, I don't. We tr we try our best not to go over. Um, 
but man, I could, I don't know about you, Andy, but dude, I could literally, I could do this all night. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, like, I could just keep, keep talking all night, man. This is, <clears throat> but dude, we, I've... we really appreciate you coming on, man. And, uh, it has been probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever recorded. <laughs> Then we could we could do more. It's not like it's hard. No, we we're definitely. I I want to. I definitely want to do a mid season update with you. Um, so we'll definitely have you back and uh, give you some more time to maybe come. You know, gather some more stories for us. <laughs> I can I can definitely. I, I made up a lot of stuff tonight, so I can make up a lot more stuff by the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully people will uh will have said some things about the two minute tune up that's coming out soon. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to catch some hell for that. But yeah, before we leave, I actually want to say that I actually don't do any of the stuff I just said. I'm actually the person at Subway that's yelling at you when you're that's, that's <laughs> made everything up. Everything's a lie. <laughs> yeah. All fiction. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we can we can make the two minute tune up happen. I'm sure I'll catch some heat for that. But I got what a week before this comes out. Yeah, you got a week before this episode comes out. So I, I really would like to release the first two minute tune up at at the time this episode comes out. That that might be better in my interest too. Yeah, I I definitely <laughs> agree. I mean, I would hate to have to fly to Washington and go to your subway. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're out of egg. We don't have any more egg whites. I'm sorry. All right, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll bring my own. Yeah. <laughs> But well, no, we definitely I really enjoyed it, man. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's been a ton of fun. A ton of fun. No doubt. All right. Well, uh, to all you guys, Andy, are you going to tell them what's next? Do we have an idea of what's next? Give them something to look forward to besides the two-minute tune-up? Uh, I think uh, next week, man, hopefully D. West is back, and we'll talk about a little uh, early season, what we're doing, what we need to do, and what you haven't done. What I haven't done, or, or what the people have? No, done. what 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 everyone hasn't done. Oh, because okay. there's like, only a, I'll, I'll I'll say it. I mean, there's only a couple of us that are moving in the right direction. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, I at least got my boat at the at the mechanic right now, so I'm one All step right. ahead. All right, let's move. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Well, until next time, I uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks again, Nick. Man, it's been a pleasure. You bet. Thank you, guys. Yeah, man. Don't forget to. uh Please uh, subscribe and leave a review. We would gladly appreciate it. And uh, I hope you guys have a combat waterfowl week.